Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love Because the writing is sort of everything, right? Like, you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing is So some bad. readers love that, and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello, and welcome back to The Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by an author writing across multiple genres and under multiple names. I'm very excited to have Katie Ginger. Hello, Katie. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you on. I've never, I don't think I've ever interviewed an author with um, so many published names uh, under their belt. So, <laughs> Just the way it goes sometimes, I think, in publishing. <laughs> well, usually I, I, I always start off with the latest publication, but I feel like we might need a bit of context here. So I think in this case, it might be good to, to first talk about your pen names and the sort of the, the the or just your the names that you were published under so am i right in thinking when you first started publishing your writing was all under your your actual name which is katie ginger yes yeah that's right i was published um originally by um hq digital mm-hmm. part of harper collins um and i had a number of books with them and then i switched um not last year, the year before, to um, Avon, still part of HarperCollins. Right. Um, and my books with HQ had been very much kind of um, romance genre, but kind of community focused. So it was lovely little villages and coastal towns in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I started writing uh, for Avon, we switched to more sort of dreamy holiday European destinations. And so because of that kind of that slight change in direction with the romances, but with a different focus, uh, we decided to to go under the name Annabelle French. Okay. So w- was that a sort of decision that you kind of came together with the, presumably the marketing team that said, this might be better if we do it under a different name? Yeah, it was something that we discussed from, from the beginning. Um, and something that I was more than happy to do because, um, they were really understanding in that I didn't want to be running several different uh, social media profiles because it's hard enough to balance writing and promoting your books uh, yeah. you know, and being on the socials and growing your platform. Um, so they were quite happy that it would, you know, that I could say it was me just writing under a different name. So I could just keep the social media channels that I had already. Yeah, that makes sense as well, because it's whilst... Y- as you mentioned, one of them's a sort of like within sort of local um, UK areas. Sort of, it, it's a sort of cozy contemporary thing. The, that's Katie Ginger, and then even though the other ones like now destination romances, as it were, they're, they're both sort of contemporary, cozy-ish romance. You'd imagine there'd be a lot of crossover between the readers. Yeah, exactly. But it still, um, it still kind of designates that they're slightly different. So yeah. if, if readers you know they want because I always write slow burn I'm I mean 
there's there, there's it, the ones the Annabelle French are slightly spicier, but but really not much. I'm really really bad at writing uh, sex scenes and things like that. I just blush <laughs> at the idea of doing it. So so everything I write is is sort of slow burn. But yeah, it was just kind of with this, the Annabelle Frenches have a slightly different focus, a bit more of an international appeal, I suppose. Yeah yeah yeah, and then. In August of this year, you released your first novel under the the name Emma Royal, which is historical fiction. Yes. So I I started to branch out into historical fiction um, and we wanted a completely different name for that because the books are so different. Like they don't always have romance in them. They're much more drama based um like if you imagine like a sunday night drama in a mm-hmm. book uh that is so it's it was so so different that we definitely needed a different name and a different brand so we went with um emma royal which was the name that my editor at uh, my agent kate nash and i came up with uh, emma is my middle name and then royal because the books are set at buckingham palace and we thought that was quite a nice tie-in yeah <laughs> it's so interesting having so many different um do you ever kind of lose track or forget which name is under which thing or, or are they so kind of compartmentalized that you, you you it's quite easy to to know which is what's what's going where yeah they are they are quite easily co- uh, compartmentalized for me because they feel like two very different parts of my personality in a way yeah um because the the Annabelle Frenches are, you know, rom-coms, so there's a lot of humour in them, um, and obviously the romance. And then with the the historical fiction, they're just much more serious. Um, they have light moments in them. They're not, you know, completely doom and gloom, mm-hmm. but they are kind of, and they require so much more, the historical fictions. There's it's so much research in terms of where the royal family are, what they're doing, so it it just they just feel very different sort of personalities in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for everyone listening, just to just to sort of round that all up, Katie has origin originally published under her own name, Katie Ginger, and those were sort of local, um, cozy contemporary romances. Then first pen name, Annabelle French, destination romances, and uh the second pen name, Emma Royal, historical so, uh, fiction period drama sort of stuff is that that about sum it up that's perfect so i might have to steal that for my <laughs> or next time i have to write a, a biography of myself or something okay amazing and now that we now that we all understand that we all understand the context uh the am i right in thinking your the most recent publication is actually it was um one an annabelle french novel came out uh beginning of october Yes, yes. Christmas at the Chateau, uh, written as Annabelle French, uh, came out on the 12th of October. It was a re- it's such a lovely book. I love writing Christmas books. You just get to put so much heart into them. And obviously, it's a, you know, Christmas is just a fantastic time of the year. So you get to include all those wonderful Christmassy tropes like, you know, snowball fights and decorating the Christmas tree and stuff. They're just such fun to write. Yeah. You can get away with a lot of Christmas as well. Like just when you look at how Christmas movies have evolved, where it's almost like the sillier they are, the better a, a like in quotes Christmas movie it is. I feel like there's so much leeway. You can really, you can really have fun with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like in Christmas at the Chateau, my main character, she she can't ski and she's gone to this ski resort in the Swiss Alps that's owned by her best friend and she can't ski at all. And she the, the hero tries to teach her and she's so bad that he takes her to a children's class and she's so humiliated <laughs> and she thinks that, oh my God, I've got, I'm so bad. I've got to learn to ski with the children, but it's not actually... The, the children's class it, they, he just wants the tutor from the children's class um but the, it's such a lovely moment because there's all this kind of angst and banter and, and embarrassment you can get away like you say you can get away with so so much in a christmas book you can really play on yeah. on these um tropes and and have fun with them yeah it's always a good time so original releases is Kate ginger at HQ Digital, as you mentioned, which is one of HarperCollins's imprints. And then you said you moved over to when you went to do the Annabelle French stuff. That's also with Harper. Was that like, was there any connection within that? Like, was it part of a team that sort of moved you over between HQ and Avon or were they sort of separate things? They, they were kind of separate. It's, it's kind of the way things go in, in publishing. Sometimes, um, you know, HQ felt that I'd sort of hit a bit of a ceiling with them and they hadn't managed to break me out as much as they hoped. And then um, Kate was talking to Avon and then I moved across to them and, and started with the Annabelle French name. So sometimes it's just the way things go in publishing. Sometimes yeah. you get moved about. So were you with uh, the amazing Kate Nash, who's, who's been on the podcast before, were you with her before you signed with HQ Digital? No, I actually started writing for HQ um, just as just by myself. I didn't have an agent um, and I secured my contract through a Twitter pitch. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, it was so weird. I mean, I can actually remember the moment <laughs> that I saw that, that they wanted it I was, I was scrolling through twitter my children were quite young they were both still at primary school i think they were about five and five and seven and i had one under one arm and one under the other as we sat on the sofa in the evening watching like cbb's and i was scrolling through my phone and i saw hq pictures your story so i pitched them um the idea that became Snowflakes at Mistletoe Cottage, which is a, a food technician working for a celebrity chef who gets sacked and ends up moving home and starting her own kind of food blog and, you know, the, the adventures that happen as she's doing that. And obviously she falls in love back in her hometown. Um, but And this was when Twitter was, you know, 140 characters. So you had to be yeah. really succinct. And, and I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose you know, I'll just, I'll just do it. And then th literally the next day, HQ contacted me on Twitter. They DM me and said, we'd love to know more. So I sent them a little bit more of an outline and then they responded and said, we, we'd love to see this. Can you send us the full manuscript, which I hadn't actually written. I don't know. Like I'd written, <laughs> I think I'd written a really, really bad first draft which okay. was, and my first drafts tend to come in quite short generally. So I think it was mm -hmm. only about 50,000 words or something like that. And I thought, oh my God, I've got so much work to do because obviously you don't want to leave it too long to send them the full manuscript in case they forget who you are and that they've even asked for it. And I then was like madly working on this draft and I managed to send it about, I think about three weeks later. But then I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything at all. So that was like September. 
and then I didn't hit anything. And like January, I thought I'll, um, I'll be brave enough and prod them. And it just turned out it had got lost in an inbox somewhere and they asked me to resend it, which I did. And then literally like a few days later, I had an email somewhere, Hannah, who who worked at HQ at the time, Hannah Smith, uh, saying, can I give you a call at three o'clock this afternoon? And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's this? <laughs> it was just absolutely bonkers. And then she rang me and offered me a two book deal. Wow. There was you panicking, thinking you had to send it off as quick as possible. It turns out you could have just, I could have just spent a few months doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, once I got the, the email, can I give you a call? And it just sort of all seemed to happen really super quickly. Yeah. That's amazing. Also, I, you see a lot of the, obviously the Twitter pitching competitions happen, happen every now and again, and I see a lot of them, but it's, you it's one of those things that sort of seems like a lottery. It's like, you, you think, oh, I've, I've seen a thousand pitches. It's like, no one ever really wins these. It's, 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 it's great to hear that, that people do actually, you know, find great success off, off the back of those. And that, that sort of like launched and started your career in, in publishing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you just have to take your chances. I think, yeah. that, I think there's that famous quote, isn't there, that like a successful author or, you know, a successful author is one who doesn't quit basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really true. You just have to find every opportunity you can and grab it with both hands because you never know, you know, it might, it might work. It might not, you know, you never know where it's going to take you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? Yes. I love that quote. I love that quote. <laughs> Um, also what a great test of, they've, uh, they've changed it now. Twitter's, I mean, it's X or whatever you want to call it, whatever they're calling it next week, back when it was 140 characters, when it had that limit, what a great way to kind of shore up your concept. Like if, when you're forced to have such a small, um, word count to, to be able to put your concept so succinctly, that's such a great test for how kind of quick and, and, and smart you can, you can do your, you can deliver that idea. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, it's like the tightest log line ever, you know, and I, actually yeah. it's something that I still try and do for my books before I start writing them. I need, because you, like you say, you have to nail what the core of the story is um, mm. in one very short sentence. And I try and do that before I start writing because then I can always come back to it when I feel like I'm writing the first draft and it's, you know, maybe going off piste a little bit, then I can go back to that one line, that one statement and draw myself back to the core of the story. It can be a really, really useful exercise. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Keep it, keep it so tight. And then every, just refer back to it and think, oh yeah, that's, I need to get back on course. Cause I've gone, I veered wildly, yeah. wildly away in a strange direction here. Yeah, absolutely. So you actually, you released, was it nine books, um, with HQ? Yeah, it was. Yeah. At what point in that, you know, writing and releasing all of those books, was it during that time that you teamed up with Kate Nash or was it after that? Uh, it was, no, it was uh, after I think I'd had about six books out with okay. HQ. I kind of, I started to feel like an agent would be really useful. I, I know agents aren't for everybody. You know, some people self-publish, some people traditionally publish, some people want agents, some people don't. Um, I'm quite, I'm quite a forward person. I'm quite happy to say when I'm not happy about something. But even then, I do think 
it's really useful to have an agent in your corner. Um, yeah. Because what I found was I I was in my own little bubble with HQ because I, I'd gone in through the Twitter pitch and I'd been really lucky and, and got with HQ, but I didn't know anything about any other publishers. So I felt like there was this massive sea out there and I was just on a tiny, my little raft. And I, you know, I didn't know what else was out there, what else was happening. And I think that's one thing that you get from an agent, uh, from a great agent, like, Hey, you, you get that understanding of the industry, the, knowing you know all the different things the ins and outs of you know translation rights and tv rights and all these sorts of things there's that aspect but also just that general understanding of the publishing industry which is something that at the time i lacked um so i then again it was through twitter twitter has been my friend or x as it is now um there was they were doing an ask agent thing the kate nash literary agency and I asked the question, you know, do you, if you're an established author or if you're already published, do you need a new book to, to try and attract an agent or will they take you based on your um, backlist? And, um, yeah. and, and they said, it, you know, it can be useful to have a new book because that's what they can take out and sell. But likewise, um, to get in touch if if I was looking for representation, so I did, and uh, and I was very lucky that they took me on. Yeah, and it's it, it's an interesting way of putting it too. I think you were sort of already in the industry at that point, and there's a sort of vastness to it where it's like, oh, you have all of these options, but it's scary to kind of try and go in any one direction. But agents with all the kind of experience and knowledge that they have, the great thing that I think that agents offer to authors is that ability to sort of scoop up all the vastness and then say okay so here are your options and just lay it out quite simply in front of you and be like here's what we can do and here's why we can do it yeah absolutely and just knowing that you know this is selling this isn't you mm-hmm. know all that knowledge which then can play into how you choose to steer your career going forwards yeah so once Kate was on board. Did I, I, I'm assuming that Kate was very much involved with the Annabelle French um, submissions in that and like working with Avon on that. Yeah, yeah, she was absolutely. Spread the word. The J.C. Penney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra thirty percent off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. J.C. Penney, make everybody count. Offer valid three eleven through three seventeen. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Absolutely. And then when with with uh, the Emma Royal book um which is actually out with penguin that's obviously something that you and Kate worked on together yeah so that was that was really mad because i'd never been a huge follower of the royal family really like i've got a, a history degree and a history masters so my mm-hmm. my if i'd read anything about the royal family it was like Henry VIII, you know, and it was the, the big kings and stuff <laughs> yeah. like then queens and not sort of the modern royal family. But then but then I was absolutely gripped to the TV when that day they were reporting that 
Queen Elizabeth was poorly mm-hmm. and and then they announced that she died and I was like I was literally sobbing in the corner watching like I had it on my husband's computer I was watching it and my kids were looking at me like mom what is what is wrong with you and I was like <laughs> oh my god the queen's died this is so sad and um and then I was talking to Kate a, a few about a, I think about a week or so afterwards it was after the funeral and I had literally sobbed through the entire funeral as well because I'm a great big wimp and just a very emotional person and we were talking about the royal family and Queen Elizabeth and the funeral and watching history be made and and we kind of then came up with this idea of working class people at Buckingham Palace and uh, Millie, who's the main character in the Palace Girls, you know, she's a cleaner at Buckingham Palace, and sort of her story started to percolate in my mind. And Kate nailed it when when she said to me something like, "The Crown meets Downton Abbey," and I was like, "Oh my god, yes! Oh my god, yes!" And uh, and we came up with um, a synopsis, and she said, "How quickly can you write?" 10,000 words because I want to get this sent out as soon as possible. Uh, And I said, give me a week. (laughs) So I wrote sort of 10,000 words, the first three chapters, which I always, I always find the first three chapters kind of the easiest anyway, in any book that I'm writing, because you're setting the scene and uh, you know, you're kind of just introducing the characters to the readers. So I always find those the easiest anyway. Um, But I wrote these, first three chapters sent it to Kate and she sent it out on I think it was a Thursday afternoon and she emailed me the list of editors that she'd sent it to and then she rang me the next day Friday lunchtime asking me if I was sat down because we already had an offer wow. so it was incredibly <laughs> quick it was incredibly quick and just blew my mind absolutely blew my mind that's such a good pitch, though. Downton Abbey meets the Crown. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it it sells itself in many ways, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you think of that kind of Sunday night drama, kind of episodic drama, which which I wanted to capture in the books, and we were lucky enough to get um, three books to get a three book contract. Yeah, yeah. As someone who, so all of your kind of previous stuff up to this has been. Um, contemporary romance as someone who uh you have a master's degree in history was it was it fun to sort of get back into a sort of uh doing a bit of research doing something from you know a a long time ago yeah I absolutely absolutely loved it we um we'd said when we were when we were talking Kate and I were talking and we were thinking about the pitch we thought taking it back to when Queen Elizabeth came to the throne would be Mm -hmm. a great place to start Um, and I've got a massive love of the 50s anyway I just think it's a really interesting period in history because it's you still have all the fallout from the second world war but also you're really heading towards the the swinging 60s and you know it's just a period of quite intense change yeah so we wanted to set it in the 50s and then I started researching um King George VI and sort of how Elizabeth came to the throne because I didn't really know an awful lot about it. 
Um, and then through my research, I just had such a soft spot for King George VI, Queen Elizabeth's father. Mm-hmm. So we decided to set the book. King George VI had a, a lung removed in September 1951. And he got, he, he took a long time to recover from that. And he was really, really poorly. And it was that, that Christmas was the first time that the Christmas Day address had been pre-recorded. They'd never done that before. It had always been live. But because he was so weak and he couldn't speak for long periods of time, they pre-recorded it, which, you know, that's such an interesting fact in itself. And then he died in uh, February 1952. So we, so it's quite a, a short period of time where obviously they must have just been terrified. You know, this is, he was, he was loved by the nation, King George VI, because he took over, he, when his brother abdicated to marry Wallace Simpson, Mm -hmm. and then he steered the country through the war and he was loved. So it was quite a hard act for Elizabeth to follow. And she was really young. She was only, I think, 25. So um, we just decided that would be that would be the place to start the series with her actually coming to the throne and then the pressures that that brings. Yeah. And that's especially given that you did this in the wake of her death as well. So you kind of balancing out two sides of that coin. I think my, my, most of my knowledge about that period comes from the King's speech and then the crown. So I'm not too knowledgeable about it either. (laughs) Yeah. it was. But I've been watching, obviously I loved the crown anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. And to see, to see these figures represented, you know, on the telly and stuff, and and dramatized, it's quite. It was quite strange, wasn't it? Like when the queen was alive, you were yeah. watching her, a character of her in the crown. And actually, when I was when I was writing the book, I had to keep sort of reminding myself that this is fiction, and that I'm okay to kind of put words in the queen's mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, she yeah. and treat her like a character, because it. I wanted it to be respectful of the royal family, but still to be, you know, to have all those moments of drama that you do in a book. Yeah, exactly. I've seen some of the. There's some sort of leaked footage of them filming the the latest season of the crown and i think it's going to be even more bizarre to see they're doing like grown-up william and, and harry and i was thinking like that they're, they're not much older than what you're showing them yes yeah. <laughs> sort of bizarre to see it's gonna be so weird it's gonna be so weird yeah. um but those early seasons of the crown i particularly love yeah 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 they're brilliant and that original cast, the, the the cast has always been good as they've changed it but that original cast were, were, were something special i think um Getting back onto you, going forwards, are you going to sort of stop producing books under Katie Ginger? Are you, is it is the plan to stick very much with Annabelle French and Emma Royal as your two kind of brands? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. What would my absolute dream would be to write screenplays as romantic comedy screenplays as Katie Ginger. Okay. Um, (laughs) You know, because it's good to have a dream. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, definitely focusing on uh, Annabelle French and uh, Emma Royal going forwards because I've still got, there's one more Chateau book. So one more book is uh, Annabelle French to come out in April next year. Mm-hmm. And then I've got two more Emma Royal books, uh, August 2024 and August 2025. Okay, great. Lots coming out. 
Yeah, it's exciting. I've just got edits <laughs> for um, for the second Palace Girls book. So I'm diving into those at the moment. Okay, very exciting. You must be you must be very busy with this. This writing schedule seems pretty intense. Uh, is this is that three books next year? Well, so so it's been intense this last year, um, right. with the first Chateau book, then the first Palace Girls book, then the second Chateau book, and then the second Palace Girls book. So I have been writing sort of back to back, but I've been very lucky that the way it's fallen they've kind of dovetailed one after the other okay so i've not had i've not been what i find difficult is writing two first drafts at the same time Mm -hmm. that i find really difficult but i've been lucky that i've been writing a first draft while editing something else and they're just such different stages in the process that sort of mentally i can i can cope with that i can switch between one thing and the other I bet that's even helpful as well, sort of being able to escape one thing and jumping into another and then going back to the other thing. So like before you kind of get bogged too much down in one thing, you're already moving on to something else. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to write in the morning and then edit in the afternoons because I find that I'm more creative in the morning um, Mm -hmm. and can sit down and just let my imagination go. Oh yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. And then by the afternoon editing is I find editing better because you have to be a bit more analytical don't yeah. you so um yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's worked out really well actually whether it carries on doing that I'm not sure <laughs> but um both my editors Katie Lownan at Penguin and the the lovely Alicia London at Avon know that I have the other pen name and they're always really fantastic and I know that if I did have a, a problem with a deadline obviously Kate would would help me negotiate it all but my editors have been fantastic so luckily touch word no problems yet so far so good uh, do you have emails which are Kate Kate and Katie or CC do yes yeah we do <laughs> we were like nice. we were like team Kate for for penguin yes so katie lownan me katie ginger and then kate nash yeah so it's yeah reading an email from from my editor katie and seeing a katie at the top and a katie at the bottom it's it's just (laughs) it is a little bit bizarre sometimes yeah i imagine amazing well it sounds like it's sounds like it's as i said so far so good all all, uh, all working out nicely for you and that brings us to what is always the final question of every episode uh, and that is katie if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book which book would you want it to be it's going to have to be pride and prejudice nice jane austen because you know she just invented every single romance trope and <laughs> she did yeah you know it's just the best book in the world yeah, she really made enemies to lovers like the thing as well. She did. Yeah, every <laughs> single one of her books covers a romance trope. It's like the basis of all romantic fiction. So if I took anything other than a Jane Austen, I think the romance <laughs> community would uh, throw me out. Yeah, she's the uh, she's the original gangster of of romance and, and rom com <laughs> tropes. The OG, and she's also hilarious. She is. is great. She she just she is the rom com queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. Yeah, we have a, we have a lot to thank Jane Austen for. Um, amazing. Well, a, a great choice. Uh, an, another Austen. Aust- Austen proves to be the most popular and relatable uh, book to choose to take on the desert island once again. 
Um, well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about uh, your your various different names, your various different um, projects that you're working on, all the different books and series. Uh, it, it all sounds great. It all sounds exciting. Um, I hope one day to watch a movie or television show <laughs> by screenwriter Katie Ginger. That would be great. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been brilliant. And for anyone wanting to keep up with what Katie is doing, is doing, you can follow uh, her stuff, which is with Katie Ginger or Annabelle French on Instagram at Katie underscore Ginger underscore author or on Twitter at Katie G author. To follow the Emma Royal stuff, um, you, all socials, you can find her at author Emma Royal. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon and for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Katie and thanks to everyone listening. Listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.